Good morning. My name is Elisa, and I have the privilege of serving on the prayer team. And today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. In addition, I will read related passages from Proverbs, and they will all be on the screen for you to follow. Proverbs chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? This is God's word. Thank you. Hello, everyone. It's so good to be with you all. Yes, thank you so much. <clears throat> I'm only here because I was promised a free mug, and so uh, I was like, I'm definitely saying yes to this. It's good to be with you, as Tim was saying. Um, I was in the room when this church uh, was dreamed up for and prayed for, in the room with the elders at Reality Carpinteria when we were deciding, should we start Ventura from uh, Carp? And um, I was in the, this room writing on the walls prayers and in prayer meetings when this was just an empty warehouse. And as uh, Pastor Tim said, I was in here the very first Sunday this church started. And it's really good to be with you here today. Thank you, Tim, and the elders for the invitation to speak on this very important topic. Um, today, I want to teach on a topic that comes up quite a lot in Proverbs. It's God's guidance and God's um, will. God's guidance and God's will. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to share with you uh, how I got to San Francisco from Carpinteria. Um, I want to talk about how to be a bad parent. So if you, uh, if you want to know about that. And um, I want to talk about like what tree in the Garden of Eden was the best tree to eat from. And then in there, talk about God's guidance and God's will. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I pray this morning that you would give me... Um, your, your mind, that's possible, the mind of Christ, uh, your heart, God, for this congregation, specifically those who are in the room now. And give me unction in your spirit's leading as I talk about wisdom. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I was led to start a church in San Francisco through uh, my love for shoes. <laughs> shoes. Um, it was 2008. Uh, my wife Ashley and I were living in Carpinteria. We were the next in line to plant a reality church. We had moved there from Bakersfield, California. Anyone in Bakersfield? Come on. Someone? Two people. Three people. We got out, y'all. Us three. Um, so we're living in Carpinteria. We're next in line to plant a reality church. The problem was we didn't know where we were going to start a church. As history goes, Tim knew that he was going to L.A., Josh, who planted in Stockton, Reality Stockton, knew he was going to Stockton. But Ash and I moved to Carpinteria not knowing where we would plant. So I prayed, and I asked God, and I asked others, and I asked for a sign, I asked for a vision, I asked for a prophecy. I would randomly throw open my Bible, like, point, and go, is this it? Is this the, like, what? I did all that stuff. And then it happened. One night, uh, we were at Reality Carp doing a, a ministry conference, and at night, I was praying, and heard God speak. And uh, the, the, the chairs are similar at Reality Carp, just like a, a lighter tan color. And um, I was in the back, and I felt God say, get on your knees, and I got on my knees. And then he asked me, what shoes are you wearing? It's like, this is very odd, God. First of all, you, would, you should know what shoes I'm wearing, because you're God. But second of all, why are you asking me what shoes I'm wearing? And then I was thinking, and then I, I, he asked again, what shoes are you wearing? And um, and I, I was like, oh, yeah, these shoes. Oh, I bought these shoes in San Francisco. And immediately I was taken on, like, when uh, I, we, Ashley and I were in San Francisco on this trip where I bought these shoes. And I bought these shoes in San Francisco, like, like seven years prior or something like that. And so um, I said, oh, these are the shoes. And this is the city. And then I heard Jesus say, take your feet shod with the good news of the gospel to that city and proclaim the gospel. And all of my shoe obsessions ever since have been justified. <clears throat> so every time I buy a pair of shoes, I'm like, God speaks to me through shoes, God, Ashley. So I, I don't know what to say. Take this up with God. Um, honestly, though, I, I, I wish life was like this all the time. I wish God supernaturally told me every single decision, every big decision and little decision to make every single day. Now, imagine if he told us what to buy and what not to buy. Like if your debit card shocked you every time you bought something that you were, that was outside of God's will for you. Like you used it and like, and like oh, I'm not supposed to buy this stuff from Whole Foods. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, I'd like to meet with you. We might invent this, and it actually would probably do really, really well. Um, or if God told you when you woke up, like, the person you were going to marry, he said, this person's going to be wearing a striped shirt today. And you'd be like, this is exactly how I want to live. Now, there are stories out there of people like this that, that I know. People in the church pray for this stuff all the time. Like, for every little decision, God, lead me, God, lead me. And the thing is, it sounds so holy. It sounds very, very holy. But there is a very dark underbelly to this sort of logic. And this is what I want to teach on today. Now, I want to give a caveat before I go forward. Um, before I teach you this dark underbelly, I want 
us not to lose sight of the fact that the goal in life, my hope in life, as, even as I age as a follower, follower of Jesus, is to live in such a union with God that I hear God's voice on the regular. So, that, so that's a caveat. I want that. I want that in my life. I want to live in such a union with God that I am living, hearing the voice of God on the regular. But I also want to point out In our reality family tradition, there is a dark underbelly to this sort of thinking that God tells you every decision to make. And here is the dark underbelly. Next slide. The dark underbelly is that you become a person who has not developed godly character, wisdom, or a sanctified imagination. You have become a kind of person that just every single moment, and we know these type of people, I know these type of people, we run into them all the time, that every single decision they make, they think that God has to lead them, and so they themselves have not developed godly character. They themselves have not developed wisdom, as we've been talking about in Proverbs. They themselves have not developed a sanctified imagination. Now, I understand this might be a paradigm shift for many of us, because we have a deep tradition in our family of churches at reality of hearing God's voice and His prophetic voice. We deeply value this. Every single week, you all gather like we gather at at Reality SF, and we hear God's prophetic voice for what He wants to do that morning in the service. We have historically called prayer meetings to pray through decisions as a church. Many of you are part of communities where you pray for one another through major decisions in life. And we pray, and this is right and good, and by praying, we hope and many times expect God will guide us. But as we look at Proverbs and seek to attain wisdom, there might be more to it than that. More, I wouldn't, maybe not more is the right word. There's a both and to that. We pray, we ask God to lead us, but, next slide, we can, by asking God for a sign, an open door, or the holy flip. Anyone ever do the holy flip? Just open your Bible, and you're like, this is God's word right here. This has got to be it. God, what do you want to speak to me? We could be, by asking God for a sign, God, show me a sign. God, open up a door. God, open up my Bible. Here it is. We could be circumventing something very valuable in our life with God, and that is character development. Here's a picture of my three-year-old. Her name is Juniper Blue, and uh, she's, I love her to death. That was last week at Disneyland. Um, Autopia, Autotopia, however you say that ride that no one knows how to say, but it's such a fun ride. And she's not really supposed to be driving, but she is driving. Uh, I just wanted to like, wanted to feel like what it'd be like in like when she's 16. So uh, we got in the car and we're driving. And I love parenting uh, her with my wife, Ashley. She's at that age where I could make every decision for her right now. I can, and actually sometimes do, tell her when to pee. Like, you have to pee right now. No, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) I know you do. I'll feed her bites of food when she's taking forever to eat. I'm like, just eat this. We got to go. We got to keep moving on here. I'll help dress her. I'll wipe her. I'll make... Actually, I can make every decision for her, and I'm a little bit wiser and more knowledgeable than her, and I can make some pretty good decisions for her. But if I did that for the rest of her life and never taught her to make her own decisions, never gave her the character to be the kind of person who can make smart and wise decisions, you would call me a bad parent, and you would be right. 
See, there are stories of people who want God to make every decision for them. Some might phrase it as being spirit-led on what shirt to put on or what car to buy or what fertilizer to buy for their lawn. And again, it sounds so holy, but what if God is a good, good father wanting us to mature into the kind of people who can make wise decisions? What if God's hope for us, his children, was to become the kind of people who knew how to rule and reign on this earth as his image bearers, making decisions that add to human flourishing, that take care for the the planet he's given us to steward, and to, through our actions and decisions, show what God is like in the world. Now, I'm not saying that's apart from God, but in relationship to God, knowing his character, yet making wise decisions as free-willed creatures, both and. Now, I'd like to posit something. When we say things like, God, just tell me what to do, or God, just give me a sign, or God, show me the way, what you can't, you might be saying, I'm not saying that you do this, but what we might actually be saying is that we don't want to put in the hard work of knowing God's character and growing in our own character to make good decisions for ourselves, and we want someone else to choose for us. Because let's be honest, that would be way easier. It'd be so much easier to flip a coin to know God's will or to get a word from God. But there is no character or maturity required for that. See, in the New Testament, we're never actually told to seek God's will. Rather, we're we're told to seek God's kingdom and do God's will. There's a big difference. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. God does have a will. I'm not saying that God doesn't have a will. God does have a will. God does have a plan. And sometimes we don't know what God's will or plan is. Look at James chapter 4 verse 13. James says it like this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This is taken from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. So what James is saying is that God has a will, and because we don't know what that will might be, We are not to be presumptuous about tomorrow, but actually say and confess in our hearts when we plan, if the Lord wills. God does have a will, and it seems like God's will is mysterious. Theologians call this the hidden will of God. Most times we don't know God's will, his bigger plan. This idea is conveyed in what Paul says to the Ephesian church in Acts 18. He says this, but as Paul left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he left and set sail from Ephesus. God has a plan. He has a will that concerns the future that we don't know. God has a will that he has been working in history towards some mysterious, in some mysterious way that we don't know. And we are not to be presumptuous about it. Conclusion? God does have a will. God has a plan for the future, how this whole thing works out. But here's the question, and this is the question that we wrestle through the most. The question is, how do we find God's will? How can we know God's will? Now, here's how we typically think about God's will. Look at this slide. We think about God's will like this. We are aiming for that bullseye 
every single day. Like the will of God for me is that tiny dot in the center and I have to hit it. And if I don't hit it, God will be disappointed with me and I might be on plan B for my life, maybe plan C. And if I really miss it, he's going to be mad at me and I'm on plan D or F. That's basically, and therefore, when we make decisions, we are plagued with so much doubt. What if I don't hit God's bullseye? What if I don't get God's blessing? What if I make the wrong decision? What if I miss out on God's best for me? Like, did I make a decision eight years ago where I missed the person God wanted me to marry and now I'm on plan B, which is single and lonely for the rest of my life? Or did I marry the wrong person? And I know people who think like this. I know people who are married that think this way. I know people who are single who's like, I probably should have married that person right out of college and I didn't because I had some fear about some stuff and I think I missed God's will for my life. And so we treat every decision like this. Next slide. We make a decision and that decision turns into other decisions and that decision turns into another decision and another decision and another decision and every decision we make sets you on a path which leads to another decision and another and the goal in life or our responsibility we think is to discover the exact pathway of God's will and to discover God's blessing. And if we make the right choice, we will receive his favor and fulfill our divine destiny and succeed in life. And once a decision is made, we believe there's only one way forward and there's only one way to God's destiny. By the way, this is the multiverse, if you don't know. (laughs) Right? Which is a very popular genre in film right now. And this genre of movies does, what, what it does is reaffirms our suspicion that there could have been a better way for life to go for me if I only chose the right path. And so our decisions are crippling when we make them. If we choose right, we'll experience God's blessing and achieve success and happiness. So, so next slide. If we choose success, we're here. Okay, great. I'm here. Next slide. But I should have been there. I was so close. I was so close to God's will for my life. And I get some blessing because it's like, you know, like a, like a bomb, like blessing bomb. I get some like shrapnel of blessing, but not the center of blessing. <laughs> this is how we think. A lot of us think. This is the wrong picture. This is completely the wrong picture. This is the wrong picture because it keeps you focused on the wrong thing. Jerry Sitzer, who wrote a wonderful book called The Will of God as a Way of Life, in it, he tells the story, a personal story, of him trying to decide of becoming a physician or, uh, or a minister. Should, we go, I, should I go into medicine or in the ministry? And he says, this process made him rethink the idea of finding God's will for life. He says this, quote, we think long and hard when we choose a college, a job, a career, or a spouse. This makes good sense, considering how consequential these choices are. But we give very little thought to how much TV we watch or how often we talk on the phone or how seldom we praise our children. Now, how much, maybe you should say how much TV you stream and how much, you know, how much you're scrolling on Instagram, whatever. This is, this is a map completely. This is like written like 15 years ago. Yet, this is what it says. Yet the little choices we make every day often have the cumulative effect far exceeding the significance of the big choices we occasionally have to make. We do not need to fret a Fret when we have to make big decisions about the future, worrying about the terrifying possibility that we might miss God's will for our lives. We simply need to do what we already know in the present. God has been very clear where clarity is most needed. 
The choices we make every day to love a spouse after an argument, to treat an unkind coworker with respect, to serve food at a soup kitchen, to sign up for children's ministry, just adding that in there, just saying. <laughs> Determine whether or not we are doing the will of God. If we have a problem, it is not, it's not a lack of knowledge, rather it is our unwillingness to respond to the knowledge we have. What he's saying there is we, we actually, like, like me, I'm like, God, where am I going to plant a church? I'm asking these meta questions. While I didn't tell you the rest of the story is that all the while I was obsessed with this question and missing out on intimacy with God because I was only going to God for him to tell me where to go, not for him. And it wasn't until I repented of that that I actually, I heard God tell, where to, tell me where to go. See, the thing is we know what to do we know the very, the clear will of God right now. And what Jerry's sister is saying is that often many of us focus on the unknown, the future. When we do that, we lose sight of the knowns, the things that we do know. This, theologians call this the revealed will of God. And when the scriptures tell us, like I said, doesn't tell us to find the will of God, tells us to do the will of God, meaning you know the will of God. What is the will of God? To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to love one another, to forgive. To, like, we'll read the Sermon on the Mount. That's the will of God. He's told us his will. Think about it like this. What if the reason the Bible is so silent about God's will for tomorrow and so clear on God's will for today is because the way we do God's will today has a way of shaping our tomorrow? What if doing the will of God today has a way of actually shaping our tomorrow? In the word of Proverbs, we, we become the kind of people who make good decisions, or we become wise. See, the reason the previous graphic is wrong is a wrong picture is because the Bible says very little about God's will as a future pathway. The New Testament doesn't give us a formula for divining God's future will, nor does it teach us how to find or figure that out. What the scriptures do instead when it teaches about the future, it says stuff like this, do not worry. Do not be presumptuous, and do not be anxious. And then it teaches us what to do today. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I wish you didn't put that last sentence in there. I, I promise. I'm like, Jesus, that last sentence did not need to be there. Each day, like, don't worry about tomorrow. You got, you got enough problems today. <laughs> Next slide. God's will for you is this. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness, not your future. Yes. God's will is that you would not seek the minutia of your future, but you would be presently saturated with God's kingdom today, coming into your city, into your career, into your church, into your own heart. And his righteousness is being worked out in you. That's God's will. That's not that sexy, but it's true. So let's review. God does have a will for our lives, that we would seek first his kingdom, that we would grow in Christ-like character. When you look at the will of God statements in Scripture, it usually has to do with Christ-like character, like 1 Thessalonians 5 type of stuff. This is the will of God for you, to be thankful, to give thanks. And when we do these things, God allows us to follow many possible pathways to live out his will. So that graphic that we used earlier looks more like this. 
you need to rule out the stupid and rule out the sinful and choose a path, okay? Scripture rules out the sinful. Read the Bible. Study the, the way of Jesus. That rules out the sinful. Is this sinful? I'm going to rule that. I'm not going to do that. Wisdom, community, godly counsel, pastoral advice rules out the stupid. And then everywhere in the middle is kind of like choose your own adventure. You can make stupid decisions and you can make sinful decisions. That's true. Rule those out and then choose one. But what if you're like, no, no, no. I want the perfect will of God. I want you to think about the Garden of Eden for a second. Think about the Garden of Eden. God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree in the garden except one. Now, what if Adam and Eve go up to God and said, God, we're making dinner tonight and um, we want the perfect fruit. It's a special night. We're celebrating one week in the garden and it's, we want the perfect tree tonight. We want the perfect tree to eat from tonight. And God says, any tree. It's like, oh, no, I know, no, no, I know, I know, any tree. But what's the perfect one? And God's saying, just not that one. Don't eat that one, but all the other ones are my will for you. Can you accept this? Can we be like, no, but there's got to be that one. No, just don't eat that one. All the other ones I've made good. So actually, the will of God looks more like this. All those spaces in, in the middle are blessable spaces if as you're doing it, you're walking in the will of God that you know today. Those might be physicians or ministry or marriage or singleness or kids or infertility. They're blessable places. All these are blessable places. Most of us know enough to do God's will today. We know enough to obey God's commands. We know enough to pray and trust God for our future. We know enough to care for our community. We know enough to show grace and compassion to people who wrong us. This is what we must do today, for that is the will of God for us. The rest leaves room for trust in God, in the mystery of his will and his plan and his future that we frankly do not know. But I want to talk a bit about suffering. When I say blessable places, you might think good, easy, amazing. If I'm not in a good place, in an easy place, or an amazing place, I'm not in God's will. But you might be in a place here today where you are starting to resent God or resent your friends because your life isn't the way you thought it would be. And you might be having this thought that you missed God's will for your life. And let's say maybe that this didn't start out as sin for you. Let's say you didn't start out as doing anything unwise or stupid. You're just suffering. You're in the middle of suffering right now. But let's just say it is sin. You say, what if I miss God's will because I sinned? If you are on a path where you sinned, that, that's not God's will. You know what you do? Repent. Turn, confess your sin, and immediately you're in God's will. It's that easy. Repent of your sin, turn, and you're, you're literally in the place where God wants you to be. If you've made a stupid mistake, same thing. 
repent, turn to God, and say, I've made a stupid mistake, and repent. But let's say you've done all that, and you're suffering. Whenever I'm going through a really hard, maybe even low, maybe even depressive state in my life, I'll go to a mentor, and a mentor always does a diagnostic check on me. He always goes, Dave, is there any sin in your life? Let's go through your life. Purity, lying, stealing, is there sin? I'm like, no, I mean, no, there's not. Okay. Are you doing anything stupid? Just flat out stupid. And then we'll go through that. And usually there's a few things that I'm doing that's stupid. <laughs> and then he'll just do this diagnostic check. It's like, okay, if it's not that, it's not this, then it has to be that. You have to start there. Rule those things out. Maybe you're just suffering. And here's the thing about suffering. The paradox of suffering is suffering doesn't follow any forms of rationality or clear pattern of predictability. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And the reason for this is because God's will is often hidden. Because we don't know it, we often learn God's will and plan through tremendous suffering. I want to give you one example. It's the life of Joseph from Genesis. You know this story of Joseph? Joseph was favored by God, actually got a really cool outfit because he was so favored by God. Um, shoes, outfit, I think there's, there's something corollary there. And, but then he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. And he was sold to Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. And the, here, here's the thing, before the Ten Commandments, Joseph knows it's not right to commit adultery. It's not right. And so he does the will of God. You know what the will of God is? Not to sleep with someone else's wife. And he continues to do the will of God. And he serves Potiphar faithfully. He does the revealed will to God right in front of him. And as he does it, the more he does the revealed will of God, the more he suffers. The more he's persecuted. And then he ends up in prison. And then this cupbearer has this dream. And the last thing... Joseph says, after he interprets the dream for the cupbearer, the dream is basically like, you're going to be restored to your post as a cupbearer. Joseph says to the cupbearer, remember me before Pharaoh. And the cupbearer goes, I remember you. I'll tell, I'll tell Pharaoh all about you, and we'll get you out of here. So the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh, and Joseph is left in prison. Now let's stop here. What if Joseph got what he wanted right then? What if he got out of prison right then? If he did, he would, not, he would have got what he wanted out of prison, but he would have helped no one. If Joseph's life took, life took that path, it would have worked out for only one person in that story, Joseph. And the point is, Joseph had to wait two more full years in prison. And because Joseph waited, and he doesn't know the overarching will of God. He only knows the revealed will of God. Stay faithful in the moment. Stay faithful today. Be present to, the, to, to God today. He's doing that every single day. And eventually, Pharaoh has another dream. And the cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, there's a guy. I was supposed to tell you about two years ago. <laughs> I don't even know if he's alive. But he does, he, he's, the one, he's the reason I'm here. We'll go get him and sets into motion through this, his suffering, a plan. Not only just is Joseph saved, but Pharaoh is saved, 
Egypt have saved, his brothers are saved, and the whole Jewish people are saved. Joseph had to choose to stay in the story when everything in the story told him it wasn't worth it. And the point is, God knows how to work out his hidden will through Joseph's suffering. What is meant for evil, God knew how to use for good. Now, I don't know exactly what God is up to in your life. I couldn't tell you the overarching will of God for your life. In my life, I have gone through so many dark seasons where the only thing I can do was hang on, when even doing that was really hard to do. But I I know that God is working redemption and a redemption narrative, even if you do not see it. So my encouragement to you, if you don't know what God's will is, you don't know how he's working out his will through your suffering, is to hang on. Because as we're faithful every single day to the revealed will of God, he will ultimately work out his plan, if not in this life, then the next life. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to pray that you would encourage, like literally bring strengthening and, and, and courage to us to stay in the story, to stay in our own stories of suffering and of pain, to stay in our own stories of unknown where your will might be such a mystery to some of us this morning. The only thing that we know is to hang on, to remain faithful, to be thankful in every situation to forgive, to love, to repent, to turn. These are the things that we know today. I pray that we would do the things that we know and that you would be working out your redemptive story in every single life here. In Jesus' name, amen.